You have to wait three days to call a woman. That's the rule. Who even came up with that? Jesus started the whole wait three days thing. He waited three days to come back to life. It was perfect. If he'd have only waited one day, a lot of people wouldn't have even heard that he died. They'd be all, hey, Jesus, what up? And Jesus would probably be like, what up? I died yesterday. And then they'd be all, uh, you look pretty alive to me, dude. And he's not going to come back on a Saturday. Everybody's busy doing chores, working the loom, trimming their beards. No. He waits the exact right number of days. Three. Plus, it's Sunday, so everyone's in church already. They're all in there, oh, no. Jesus is dead. Then, bam, he bursts through the back door, runs up the aisle, everyone's totally psyched. And FYI, that's when he invented the high five. We wait three days to call a woman because that's how long Jesus wants us to wait. True story. Good morning and happy Easter. What an honor for me to have this opportunity to share with you on this of all mornings. Now, of all the video clips that we've found where someone pokes fun at Easter, this one from How I Met Your Mother and the three-day rule has got to be my favorite. Gentlemen, I'm not saying it's a bad idea to wait three days before you call a new girl you met. I mean, you don't want to look desperate, I, I suppose, but this is not a true story. There's actually a lot more to Easter than the three-day rule. Now, some of us have been around Storyline for a while, and for others, Maybe not. We know that there are a lot of folks who've been watching from uh, online from all over, and that's been great. And so thank you so much for doing that. So before we take a deeper look at Easter this morning, let me offer a little background about us, about Storyline. We're a community that really tries to be honest about the challenges of life. It can be difficult, confusing, and as we all have learned way too often, way too fragile. And we're not the kind of people who pretend otherwise. Life is also wonderful, beautiful, and priceless. And storyliners are as quick to smile, laugh, and celebrate as we are to admit that we don't have all the answers. So we ask a lot of questions here together about life, ourselves, faith, and God. And one of the questions that we pay a lot of attention to is, why did Jesus do what he did the way he did it? So for example, um, in regular times, we meet together in a common everyday public space, like a high school. We are passionate about including anyone and everyone who wants to belong. We use popular culture, like How I Met Your Mother, that we all know and like and are familiar with as a way to talk about and think about life, ourselves, faith, and God. And we do this because this is how Jesus helped people to find faith and to live it out. On Sunday mornings, we wonder openly, we question freely, and we look more for a direction forward than like neat little religious answers. We are trying to cultivate conversations here, not end them. And all of this holds true even on days like this one, maybe especially on days like Easter. Now, we all know what Easter is. It's the remembrance and celebration of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's the religious answer, but there are countless ways to talk about and think about Easter, and pretty much every year, we try a new angle on it. And if we're honest, there are tons of really great questions about Easter as well. And the most obvious being, is it true? Like, how can we believe in Easter? But this morning, I'd like to put a twist on that question. 
and suggests that there's an even more critical way to look at it, a more critical way to view it. And that is, not so much is it true or can we believe in Easter, but our question for this morning is, is it good? Why should we trust in Easter? And I want to do a little bit of work on that question for a second, just to make sure that we're all on the same page as we get going. You know, there can be a big difference between what's true and what's good. There are lots of things in life that are true, but not necessarily good. Several years ago, I remember reading this interview with Bruce Springsteen, and he was asked the question, I mean, it must be incredible, Bruce, to be loved by so many people. And his answer really struck me because he said something to the effect of, yeah, it's true, a lot of people love me, but that isn't always good because there's a lot of really weird people out there. I mean, it's a fascinating point if you think about it. And I think it can be true for us and God. I mean, I've talked to many people who believe in God, who believe in Jesus, and who believe in Easter, who even believe that God loves them. They really believe it's all true. Yet they come to me and ask, why doesn't it seem to make a difference in my life? Well, it's possible to believe in God without trusting him for the very simple reason that we don't believe he's good or good for us. Look, here's the thing. We believe in things that are true, but we only trust in things that are good. We believe in things that are true, but we only trust in things that are good. That's what makes our question this morning so critical. For Easter to be trustworthy, yes, it has to be true. But if it isn't good, it doesn't matter if it's true because we won't trust in it. We won't base our life on it if we don't think it's good. So with that in mind, let's jump into our question this morning. Is Easter good? Why should we trust in what Easter means for us? Now, moving to the end of Jesus' story, he has been arrested and tortured and crucified. It's now three days later, and his closest followers are starting to hear rumors that the tomb is empty, that he's been resurrected. And this is what the Bible says. While they were saying all of this, Jesus appeared to them and said, peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them. Don't be upset. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, do you have any food here? They gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. Now, one of the many fascinating things to me about the, this encounter with Jesus is he clearly gets that the first question they are asking is, and that we are all asking is, is this true? How could this be true? I mean, that's what his comments like, touch me, give me some fish to eat, is all about. He's saying, believe it. I'm not a ghost. You're not imagining this. I'm really alive. It's true. Now, there's a lot of evidence and really good reasons to believe Easter is true. We've done entire talks about this in the past, and we will again in the future. But notice this is not just about believe it, it's true. We learn so much more here from what Jesus is saying. He's saying trust in this. 
it's good. See, beginning with Easter, beginning with this, Easter is good because it means that the eternal life that Jesus is offering us is personal. Now, there are lots of religions and life philosophies that say that when you die, you continue. You you go on. Your life energy is reunited with the universe. You become one with the all soul. I mean, the way I think about that is like, picture a glass of water being poured into the ocean. Does the water from the glass still exist? Does it continue? Yes. But it's not a personal existence anymore. It's like the Lion King circle of life kind of thing. Like when you die, you fertilize the soil, the soil grows plants, the pl- animals come along and eat the plants and you go on. Everything goes on and continues. In this sense, we all live forever. We're all ultimately like stardust, right? But come on, let's be honest. While that is true, it isn't good. I mean, this is not what we really want, is it? I mean, the deepest desire of our heart is not just to exist or to continue on in any old form. It is to love and to be loved personally. This is what we want. This is what we long for. We may struggle and strive for money and accomplishment, position or power, but we do it all in the hope ultimately to love and to be loved. And here's the thing. Only people can love energy, the circle of life, stardust, can't love, and it can't be loved. You have to be a real living person to love and to be loved. So if death means there's no personal future for us, death is taking from us everything that matters to us, ourselves, each other, and the loving relationships that we can have. Here's how C.S. Lewis describes it. The symbols under which heaven is presented to us are a dinner party, a wedding, a city, and a concert. It would be grotesque to suppose that the guests or citizens or members of the choir didn't know one another. And how can love of one another be commanded in this life if it is to be cut short at death? Think of yourself as a seed patiently waiting in the earth waiting to come up a flower in the gardener's good time, up into the real world, the real waking. I suppose that whole present, that this whole present life, look back on from there, will seem only a drowsy half-waking. We are here in the land of dreams, but cock crow is coming. I love that. You know, at one point, Jesus says in one translation of this exchange, it is I, myself. He is not just existing as part of the circle of life. He hasn't become one with the all soul, like a glass of water poured into the ocean. It is I, myself, he says. I'm still me. I have the ability to love you still, and you can love me personally. We should trust in Easter, in Jesus, because it means the future is personal, and that's good. 
It's also good because it means that the future is incredibly wonderful. Now, this is one of the biggest differences between the way of Jesus and religion. Now, there are many religions that believe in a type of heaven or afterlife. And for many, it is impersonal. But for some, it is personal. But frankly, it isn't that wonderful. And let me just say, before we dive into this second point, that this is probably the least known part of the Christian faith, even by Christians. The popular conception of heaven as like floating on clouds with angels' wings, this may be a personal future, but I don't know about you, but for me, that's not a good future because it's not a future we really actually long for. Because in that heaven, we're like disembodied and purely spiritual beings, but this is not what Jesus is inviting us to. And Easter is the first and best example. Jesus doesn't just say, it is I myself. He says, look, I have flesh and bones. Here's the deal. A purely spiritual heaven is supposed to be, I guess, some kind of like consolation for the work or the disappointment or the suffering that we endure in this world. It's supposed to be some kind of escape. But the resurrection, Easter, isn't some ethereal escape. It is an earthy, like real, like flesh and bones existence. The future that the gospel of grace of Jesus offers is not one where we're purely spiritual, disembodied, cloud-riding angels strumming harps all day. The Bible says at the end of time, heaven will come down to earth and we will be resurrected and have glorified bodies. Now, I don't know what that means exactly, but it means that we will have our flesh and bones. C.S. Lewis has a cool way of thinking about it. He says, we know not what we shall be, but we may be sure that we shall be more, not less than we are on earth. Our natural experiences, sensory, emotional, imaginative, are only like the drawing, like penciled lines on flat paper. If they vanish in the risen life, they will vanish only as a pencil lines vanish from the real landscape. Not as a candle flame that is put out, but as a candle flame which becomes invisible because someone has pulled up the blind, thrown open the shutters, and let in the blaze of the risen sun. This new heaven and earth is not a consolation for the life we lost. It is the restoration of the life we've always wanted. You know, a few years ago, my good friend Connie told me that she now was dealing with the reality that she was going to miss out of the, in her life on her biggest dream, which was to play Belle in the musical Beauty and the Beast. What a cool, what a wonderful dream, right? Now she got, she understands there's many bigger and more tragic losses than not playing Bell, but the promise of Easter and the reality that it means our future is not only personal, but also wonderful means she will play Bell someday or something even better. Easter is worth trusting because it's good. It tells us that the future is personal, like where we will be ourselves, where we can love and be loved, and that our future is wonderful. We aren't going to be strumming harps on clouds. We will have a real flesh and bones future. 
Whereas one of my favorite authors says, our real feet will run in the real grass and our real hair will blow in the real wind. All of that being said, for a personal and wonderful future to truly be good, Easter must all also be certain. Now we talk about this often and how difficult it is to be certain and really how unnecessary it is to be certain about this, that, or the other thing, especially in the life of faith. But when it comes to Easter, the promise that this, that this future is certain, that it's promised to us, is important for us to know. Jesus came here on a mission to seek and save the lost, to make grace, the undeserved love, acceptance, and forgiveness of God possible and real. His crucifixion makes grace possible. It, it means that grace is being flung into the world on everyone, everywhere, every day, all the time. But it is his resurrection. It is Easter that makes grace real. Easter is good because it proves the future and the future promise of a personal and wonderful future is also certain. I was shopping at Best Buy a few years ago and I bought some item. I can't remember what. In fact, I think it was this clicker so I can move my notes forward. And as I stopped at the door, I was stopped at the door by the, the guy in the big yellow coat and he goes, let me see your receipt. The point was, I wasn't free to leave until I proved that I had paid the price. Easter proves that Jesus's death killed death. Now, exactly how? We've talked about that before, and I don't even exactly know. Exactly why that needed to happen? Again, these are really deep issues that are difficult to uncover in any one talk or in a volume of books. We've talked about that before, and we will again. But for our point this morning, you can think of the resurrection as Easter as like a cosmic receipt. This is what makes our personal and wonderful future so good is that it's also certain. You see, here's the deal. In every religion, there is something that you and I have to achieve or attain or, to, or do to earn eternal life. In fact, we hear this all the time. Different religions are just different paths to God. Essentially what this means is different ways to earn your way to heaven. That's essentially what religion is. But Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to end them. Jesus is not saying, here is the certain path that leads from you to God. Follow it and you'll earn eternal life. He's saying, I am the path from God to you. The reason our future can be certain is because it doesn't depend on us at all. It's all about Jesus and Easter proves it.
The Bible puts it like this. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of keeping a long list of laws. No, you're already in, not through some secret initiation, but rather through what Jesus has already gone through for you, destroying the power of death. It was a resurrection, God raising you from the dead as he did Jesus. God brought you alive right along with Jesus. This is why it's called the gospel of grace, the undeserved goodness, forgiveness, love, and acceptance of God. And this is why Easter is not only true, it's good. And because of that, we can do much more than just believe in it. We can trust in it. And when we do, everything begins to change right here, right now, including us. Because nothing transforms us and our real everyday life in the present more than a future that is personal, wonderful, and certain. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to be together. 
And we thank you so much for this day and all that it means for us. The way that uh, through your life, death, and resurrection, you have made the abundant life available to each and every one of us. God, I pray that you would help us to accept our acceptance, that you would help us to cling to a personal and wonderful and certain future that you are offering each of us on this Easter morning. And I pray that as we log off and we go into our day, that you would help us to be open, alert, expectant, and dependent on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, one last thing before we sign off. I want to take this opportunity to welcome our dear friend Paul Knapp onto Storyline's full-time staff. Paul has been serving our community for several years in a part-time capacity, and we're thrilled to be able to bring him on full-time beginning this month. And of course, from all of the Storyline staff and Leadership Council, let me express our deepest thanks for your continued faithfulness and generosity that has enabled us to step forward into the future with this kind of faith in God's provision and his mission for our church. And we believe the best is yet to come and we're so excited. So thank you, Storyline, and thank you to Paul and to his wife, Allie. And don't forget, we have just a few more story onlines before we gather together again in person beginning Sunday, May 2nd at 10.30 in the morning at Lincoln Township Park in Stevensville. And we can't wait. Thanks for sharing your Easter morning with us. See you soon.